What is going on, sports fans? Welcome to Season 6, Episode 4 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. We've got a lot to get to on this week's show, including recapping every game in Week 3 of the NFL season. I'll give you my takeaways on where teams stand after three weeks of the season. Talk about some surprise teams and also update you on my seven in heaven in both the AFC and the NFC. The seven teams in each conference, I think, will make the playoffs after week three. We'll also pick week four of the NFL season, talk some college football, talk Ohio State's big last-second win against Notre Dame, and much, much more. So another exciting episode of Jack of All Trades coming your way over the next hour. Today is Tuesday, September 26th. Let's go. Season 6, Episode 4 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. I'm your host with the most too sweet to be sour. At the top of the hour, it's your man Jack Bernie here with another loaded show for you. It's football season. We're getting into the heart of it, getting to the start of conference play in college football. Really starting to learn some things in the NFL season. We're three weeks in. So without further ado, it's time to recap Week 3. We start in Cincinnati with one of two Monday night football games and a rematch of Super Bowl 56. And I'll tell you what, after watching this game, if you would have told me these two teams played in the Super Bowl two years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. Both offenses struggled, except for Jamar Chase finally getting involved in the Bengals offense. Joe Mixon punched in a touchdown to give the Bengals the lead. The Rams tried to make it interesting in garbage time as Stafford found 2-2 Atwell for a touchdown, but it was too little too late as the Bengals finally get a win to break their 0-2 start. They beat the Rams 19-16. We go to Tampa Bay where the Eagles took on the Buccaneers. And Jason Kelsey and DeAndre Swift look like the best Swift-Kelsey duo in the NFL on the field as the Eagles dominated in the run game once again. Jalen Hurts scored a couple of times, once through the air and once on the ground in his famous bush-push play at the one-yard line. And Baker Mayfield returned to form throwing a costly interception as the Eagles fly 25-11. Back to Sunday, we start in the desert 
where the Cardinals took on the Cowboys. The Cowboys were favored by 12 and a half points, and a lot of people in the survivor pools were riding on Big D. But Dallas needs to figure out its offense. The Cowboys scored 40 points against the Giants in week one, but only had 265 yards. Last week against the Jets, Dallas had 30 points, but Dak Prescott only threw for 6.7 yards per attempt. Now they only produced 16 points against Arizona. If the Cowboys are a Super Bowl team, the offense has to be better. Meanwhile, Jonathan Gannon has his players buying in in the desert. Josh Dobbs has been very solid under center. Against Dallas, Dobbs completed 17-21 for 189 yards and a touchdown. And this Cardinals team has fought in every game they've played as they pull off a stunner and beat the Cowboys 28-16. We go to Las Vegas where the Raiders hosted the Steelers. And when Kenny Pickett doesn't turn the ball over, Pittsburgh can ride its defense and ground game to victory. Against the Raiders, Pickett threw 16 passes for 235 yards and two scores and did not turn the ball over as they walk out of Las Vegas with the victory. Meanwhile, Josh McDaniels might be looking for a new job in a couple of weeks as he had the dumbest play, perhaps the dumbest move of a coach this week. Trailing 23-15 with 2.21 remaining and facing a fourth and four at the Steelers' eight-yard line, McDaniels opted for a field goal. Since starting 6-0 with the Broncos as a head coach, McDaniels is now 12-30. And after watching Sunday night's game, it's easy to see why, as the Steelers win 23-18. We go to Ch uh, Kansas City, excuse me, where the Bears took on the Chiefs. It's time to get back to the bases for the Bears. Chicago had about the worst week possible with defensive coordinator Allen Williams resigning, along with Justin Fields calling out his coaching, and it didn't get any better with this 41-10 drubbing by the Chiefs. Meanwhile, for Kansas City, everyone will talk about the offense, but the defense is becoming a beast. Fields was held for, to 42 passing yards and an interception while notching three sacks until Kansas City pulled many of its starters. The offense was always going to be top-notch, but this defense being dominant is a welcome sign for the Chiefs. But nobody really cared about the football game. Everybody cared about Taylor Swift being in the stands. So I present to you some Taylor Swift song title puns to recap this game. It's Taylor Swift's lucky number is 13. That's 13, regular straight, regular, 13 straight regular season losses for the Chicago Bears. The Bears weren't ready for it. The Bears will look to shake it off next week. And how about this? Chicago knows losing under Matt Eberflus all too well. Meanwhile, Kansas City is riding high. It won't be a cruel summer in Kansas City after week one's loss to Detroit as the Chiefs look like they're back on track as they beat the Bears 41-10. We go to Seattle where the Seahawks took on the Panthers. The offense in Seattle is officially back. After scoring only 13 points against the Rams, Seattle has now scored 37 each of the past two weeks. As for Geno Smith, one of 2023's best story, has averaged 312 passing yards and back-to-back -back victories. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Seahawks win, 37-27. We go to Lambeau Field, where the Saints were looking to march, and they looked well on their way, as they were up 17-0 in the second half. Then Derek Carr went down, and Jordan Love and the Packers started to believe. Green Bay could be a really good team when they're finally healthy. Packers have been without, been without a litany of stars, including corner Jair Alexander, receiver Christian Watson, and running back Aaron Jones, not to mention left tackle David Bakhtiari. But they still find themselves at 2-1. and one. 
Jordan Love rallies the Packers from a 17-0 deficit as Green Bay survives, and they win 18-17. Perhaps another shocker happened in Baltimore. Despite being without rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson and running back Jonathan Taylor all year, the Colts are 2-1 and, and have been in all three games. So far in Indy, it looks like Shane Steichen is a terrific coach, and the team is buying in to what he is selling. Indy should be very, very excited about their future, and they should be very excited about their kicker, who made four 50-plus yard field goals the first time a kicker's done that in the same game in NFL history, including a game-winning 53-yarder. Meanwhile, for the Ravens, Lamar Jackson tried to take over this game. He totaled 303 yards and two touchdowns, but it still wasn't enough, as the Colts beat the Ravens 22-13. We go to Landover, Maryland, where all I can say is Buffalo has been quietly fantastic defensively, showing what they can do even without Von Miller. Against the Commanders, the Bills forced Sam Howell into four picks and nine sacks in an easy win. And oh yeah, Josh Allen is still good at football. No one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. 37, Commanders, 3. We go to Miami, where Tua Tungaviola is the MVP favorite and has the Dolphins looking like the second coming of the greatest show on turf. In the first half alone, he was 16 for 16 for 206 yards and two touchdowns, helping Miami take a 35-10 lead at the break, and he finished with 309 yards passing and four touchdowns. Nobody has a more prolific offense than the Dolphins, who amassed 726 yards against the Broncos and scored 70? 10 touchdowns? Hey, this just in. Miami scored again. Dolphins beat the Broncos 72-20. We go to New York, where the Patriots own the Jets. That's all I'm going to say about this game. Patriots 15, Jets 10. We go to Jacksonville, where trouble is brewing for the Jags. Jacksonville hasn't had a good performance this season. They needed a fourth quarter rally to beat the Colts, then lost to the Chiefs. At 1-2, and two, it's far from season ending, but it's fair to wonder if Jacksonville is going to win this division. Meanwhile, C.J. Stroud looks fantastic in Houston. Stroud now has a 906 passing yards and four touchdowns through three games, including 280 yards and two scores against Jacksonville. Future looks bright for the Texans. We go to Cleveland where the Browns hosted the Titans. Cleveland's offense is always going to be run heavy with a dose of Deshaun Watson, limit, limiting their ability to score a lot of points, but this defense is the identity of this Browns team, and boy, oh boy, it is elite. The Browns held Cincinnati to three points before surrendering, surrendering 12 to Pittsburgh. Tennessee then was held without a touchdown. Jim Schwartz has been proven to be a terrific hire at defensive coordinator as the Browns' defense dominates. Miles Garrett has three and a half sacks. Deshaun Watson has his best game as a Brown. The Browns roll Tennessee 27-3. We go to Detroit, where Detroit should be beaming over the play of their rookies. Jameer Gibbs stepped up, ran for 80 yards and 70 carries, and Sam Laporta caught eight passes for 85 yards, including a touchdown, as they shut down the Falcons 20-6. We got the bad coaching bowl up next in Minnesota. Los Angeles saved its season with a win, largely because Brandon Staley relied so heavily on Justin Herbert. Herbert threw for 405 yards and three touchdowns on 8.6 yards per attempt as the Chargers beat the Vikings thanks to a late interception, 28-24. <coughs> we finish in San Francisco. Nobody has a more complete roster than the Niners. The Giants aren't as good as we all thought. Niners win 30-12.
That was the fastest five minutes in football, recapping every game quickly in the NFL's Week 3. What a week it was. A lot of blowouts, I feel like, this week. Um, A lot of surprises. We're going to start with the Browns because I am a Browns fan, and that's probably the game I paid most attention to, although I did pay a lot of attention to Colts' um, Ravens as well. But I have some takes on a lot of these games. We'll start with the Browns. Um, The Browns' defense has been historically good um, through three games. And last year... Through the first 11 games and through most of the season, we were saying, man, they have so much talent on this Cleveland defense. But, you know, we think part of it's the defensive coordinator. I was clamoring for them to fire Joe Woods all of last year. They finally do. They bring in Jim Schwartz, who I said, if you listen to the season preview, I said Jim Schwartz is the biggest addition for the Browns this offseason. He's an elite coach. He's a great defensive coordinator. He's had success everywhere. He's been a coordinator at the defensive level. He won a Super Bowl in Philly. He loves to get the best out of his stars. I was expecting a big year from Miles Garrett. It was one of my best bets. Over six, over 15 sacks for Miles Garrett. He gets three and a half on Sunday. The Browns defense is their identity. It, I mean, it, they've given up, I believe, the second fewest yards through three games. I, I don't know if it's in NFL history or it, since a certain point. I want to f- try and find that stat. It um it's that so they've given up the fewest amount of total yards. They only have ninety four total yards against the Titans on Sunday, through three games I believe since the uh since the Buccaneers, um it's the fewest yards in a game by the Titans franchise since November November twenty fourth nineteen seventy four, um ninety four yards. So the Browns defense came to play. They 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 dominated that game and it's really. I mean, they've been on the field for 39 drives this season, the Browns' defense. They've only allowed a touchdown on one of those drives, and it was a busted play, broken coverage. I think this is a top three defense in the NFL. You look at the ranks for this Browns' defense. They're first in total yards allowed per game, first in rushing yards allowed per game, first in passing yards allowed per game. And when I say first, it means they've allowed the fewest. First and first downs allowed per game, first and third down percentage, and first and points allowed per game. They've only given up 10.7 points per game through three weeks. They've given up the second fewest yards in the NFL through three games since the 1999, I believe it's the 1999 Tampa Bay Bucks, who were an elite defense with Warren Sapp and all those guys. Um, it's, it's a dominant defense. It is what you need. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, they've allowed negative 36 rushing yards before contact this season. They had Derrick Henry very frustrated. Their defense is ranked first in efficiency. Their offense is ranked 23rd. Their special teams is ranked third. I, I tweeted on Sunday during the game, this is the best Browns defense I've ever seen because they're flying around out there. Bill Simmons, I listened to Bill Simmons' podcast. He tweeted, it looks like the Browns, it feels like the Browns have 15 guys out there because they're always, you know, closing in. And I mean... I predicted this Browns team to go 10-7. and seven. I predicted them to miss the playoffs. I firmly have them in the playoff picture now. And the reason is, even though they lost Nick Chubb for the year, if a team has an elite defense, and if this Browns defense can continuing, continue to be as elite as it has been through these first three games, they're going to be in the playoffs. You win, Defense wins championships, and this Browns defense is right up there with the 49ers, the Eagles, the Cowboys, like those defenses that you throw in when talking about best defenses in the league. They're up there. They got one of the best defensive players in the league in Miles Garrett. Jim Schwartz has them hunting, humming, and um, I think the defense needs to be the Browns' identity going forward. So I've been really encouraged with the Browns' defense. I mean, I think Browns fans should be excited about this defense. It's 
It's like I said, I think it's the best since the best I've ever seen, the best since the team returned in 99. And they just absolutely shut down the Titans. They absolutely shut down the Bengals week one. And they shut down the Steelers too. The Browns, uh, I believe it's the Browns defense has given up what? They've given up, they give up 12 to Pittsburgh, 3 to Cincinnati, 3 to Tennessee. So they've given up 18 points on defense this year through three games. The Browns offensive has given up 14 points because the Steelers had two defensive scores against the Browns in week two. So, I mean, that just shows you how dominant this defense has been. But I'm really encouraged with this Browns team because, you know, that Nick Chubb injury could have been an injury that, you know, had the team down. And if they would have gone out and laid an egg against this Titans team, who I think still has a better coach than them in Mike Vrabel, but who is not more talented than the Browns, I thought the season could get away from you. But they go out there and dominate on defense. The offense weren't strong running the ball, but Deshaun Watson finally looks like a guy who's at least somewhat deserving of a $230-plus contract. Deshaun Watson, 27-33, 289 yards, two touchdowns. Should have had three touchdowns if the ref wouldn't have missed an egregious, egregious play where Amari Cooper catches the ball on the sideline, runs it in for a touchdown. They call him out of bounds. They show the replay. He wasn't even close to out of bounds. So, I mean, he should have had three touchdowns, but... I really liked what Kevin Stefanski did play calling-wise in this game. Look, I mean, I've criticized Stefanski in the past, but I've also advocated for the team to stick with him. A lot of people wanted him fired after last year going 7-10, and 10, but I feel like you had to give him the chance because of what he did in 2020, winning Coach of the Year, winning a playoff game with Baker Mayfield as your quarterback. I felt like you had to give him a chance for a full season with Watson. And the Chubb injury... Now there's no more excuses for Watson. I said that last week. Now you got to find out if Watson is the guy. Watson's had, he had eight not great games with the Browns, and this was his first really good game with the Browns. 27-33, 289 yards, two touchdowns. Stefanski play calling. What I liked is on that first, on the opening drive, the Browns go down and kick a field goal. They don't score a touchdown. But for the majority of the first quarter, a little bit into the second quarter, they were Building up Watson's confidence by short throws, quick throws, quick hitters to Elijah Moore, quick slant route to Amari Cooper, a little screen pass to David Njoku, you know? They they weren't throwing the ball down the field per se. They were doing these little quick passes, quick passes, quick passes, so Watson could get in a rhythm and get his confidence back. And I think part of the reason why Watson has struggled through nine games, except for this one against the Titans with the Cleveland Browns, is because he doesn't have his confidence anymore. The last time he played a full season, he was going to be, he was a top five quarterback in the league. Led the league in passing. He had 4,800 yards, uh, 30 plus touchdowns, like fewer than 10 picks. Like that's the guy he was. And that's the guy he was since high school. He won a national title at Clemson. He was a constant Heisman finalist at Clemson. He goes to the NFL, makes the playoffs two of his first three years in Houston, wins a playoff game. Obviously they have a down year in 2020, but he was incredible that year statistically. And so he's always been a confident player. But then, obviously, the off-the-field stuff doesn't help your, your, your mindset. I mean, obviously, I know what he did is awful. What he's accused of is awful. But, put, but if you think about it from his position, that takes a lot on, that takes a lot on your, 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 your mental ability and your, your confidence as a, as a professional athlete, as a guy who's supposed to go out there, you know, get hit by 300 pound men and still be able to throw the ball on a seed down the field 
and, you know, be an elite, elite quarterback who's getting paid all this money. You know, I mean, it, it, it had to weigh on his, um, his, his confidence on the field. Not playing for two years, two full years almost, had to weigh on his confidence on the field. So I think Kevin Stefanski realized, all right, we don't have Nick Chubb anymore. We can't just run the ball 20 times to Chubb and gain 100-plus yards and have that be our offense. We need Watson to get going. And I think part of the problem with Watson is his, was his confidence. And it was nice to see Kevin Stefanski kind of realize that and call plays early in the game to build that confidence up. Because then late in the second, half, in the second quarter, he throws a touchdown to Ford. Great back shoulder throw. He throws the deep ball touchdown to Cooper in the second half. He only throws six incompletions. This is a guy you can win a Super Bowl with if he plays like this every week. And if you get this defense every week. I mean, the Browns are here, folks. They're going to be good this year. They, they've been good through three games. They should be 3-0. Um, I think they're going to make the playoffs. We'll get to my seven and heaven after the break. Um, I do have the Browns in the playoffs. And, I mean, this defense is elite, elite, elite. Miles Garrett could be the defensive player of the year. I know TJ Watt, Michael Parsons, Nick Boza might have something to say about that. But the secondary has been incredible. Denzel Ward, MJ Emerson's been great. Obviously, didn't even have Greg Newsom on Sunday, and they still looked amazing. I love what they do with Miles moving him around the line of scrimmage. You know, you saw the clip week one against the Bengals where he's crossing over the center. This week, the viral clip that Miles had was he was running uh, to different sides of the line of scrimmage, and Vrabel and the Titans were sending two tight ends in motion to follow him wherever he went. No other defensive player in the league gets that kind of respect because they know how dominant Miles is, you know? So, I mean, it feels like Miles does something I've never seen before every week on a football field. And he is a special, special player. And he's an elite guy. And he's a top five defensive player in the league, no matter what Bill Cowher tries to sell me on the, the pregame show on CBS. So, um, I'm really encouraged with this Browns team. I love, I love what Jim Schwartz is doing, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I think... You know, Amari Cooper was great on Sunday. Elijah Moore has been getting a lot of separations through the first three games. I would like to see them involve him a little bit more. I would love to see them involve David and Joku a little bit more. But I can't complain with the 27-3 win, which your defense looked great. Looks like they finally have a kicker in Dustin Hopkins. He's been fantastic, too. And I'm not ready to... I know this is a little teaser for 7 in heaven. I'm not ready to say the Browns are going to win this win the division. But... If they beat the Ravens on Sunday, I might have to. And then looking at the Browns' upcoming schedule, there is a stretch. Um, obviously, they have the Ravens this week. Then they have the bye. And I said all year, just get me to 2-2 two and two before the bye week, and then I'm all I'm A-OK. But if they can beat the Ravens, go 3-1 and one out of the bye, they'll probably lose to the 49ers. But I'm looking at this stretch. It starts with the Broncos. November 26th, who the Broncos have looked god-awful. We'll talk about them in a minute. But it starts with the Broncos, November 26th. The Browns have the Broncos, the Rams, the Jaguars, the Bears, the Texans, and the Jets. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six very winnable games, in my opinion, for the Browns. The Jaguars have looked awful. I know a lot of people still think they're going to be a a really good team this year. I mean, I'm not ready to give up on them totally. I think they'll probably win the AFC South still. But in Cleveland, with this defense... Seeing how much Lawrence struggled against the Texans, the Browns should win that game. And not to mention they have matchups with the Cardinals and the Colts sprinkled in there as well. So they're 2-1 right now. Playing the updated schedule games, they'll win one of two against the Ravens. So that's three wins. I think they beat the Colts. That's four. I think they beat Arizona. That's five. I think they beat Pittsburgh and Cleveland. That's six. And if they could beat Denver, seven. 
the Rams, 8. Jags, 9. Bears, 10. Texans, 11. Jets, 12. Is 12 and 5 crazy? I don't know. But if this defense is playing like this and Deshaun Watson can consistently get better week in and week out, build more confidence, get back too close to the level we saw him in in Houston, I'll tell you what, folks. The Browns could be a 12-win team. You heard it here first. All right, so that, that's, my, that's my take on the Browns. A little bit long-winded, I apologize, but let's talk about some other games. we got to start with the Miami Dolphins. Um, yeah, uh, I apologize to Tua. I apologize to Mike McDaniel. I apologize to the Miami Dolphins. They are a really fantastic football team. They're going to be one of the best teams in the AFC. Um, I could see them winning the AFC East. Uh, it's going to be them or Buffalo, in my opinion, but Tua... I mean, just look at the last two years. When two has played, they've been one of the best teams in the league. They got off to this 3-0 start last year. The Devin A-Chain and uh, Raheem Mostert turning back. Raheem Mostert was, has been incredible this year. And Devin A-Chain had four touchdowns on Sunday as well. They scored 70 points. I believe it's the second most in NFL history. Tyree Kill, nine catches, 157 and a touchdown. And oh, by the way, they didn't even have Jalen Waddle. I mean, this is the best offense in the league, in my opinion. And um, people are comparing them to the greatest show on turf, which is, I mean, whenever you're drawing comparisons to that, I mean, shout out to you. I mean, this Dolphins team is going to be a 12-13 win team, I think. And um, I didn't have them in the playoffs when the season started. They're a lock now. Just seeing how Tua is played. Tua looks so comfortable in that offense. And um, it really is great. Mike McDaniel is really smart because, you know, they're going to pay so much attention defenses when they play Miami to Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill on the outside. And Mike McDaniel has just been scheming up run plays. And Raheem Mostert and Devin A-Chain combined for, what, like five or six touchdowns on Sunday? It, it was it was crazy. I mean, the Dolphins, they have good running backs. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball. A little bit worried about the defense still, kind of. Um, but... Just an absolutely dominant performance. And for the Broncos, oh boy. Um, uh, when I feel like, do they regret trading for Russell Wilson yet? Do they regret giving him all that guaranteed money? Do they regret trading all those first-round picks? I mean, I feel like you kind of have to. When can they, I don't think they can get out of his contract till 2026 either, which is, you know, I doubt. I would bet money to all of you who listen to this that Russell Wilson will not be the Broncos' starter in 2026. Um, And I wouldn't put it past Sean Payton to bench him this season. Um, The Broncos are a dumpster fire, man. I mean, they lose week one to the Raiders, who after this week look awful. Then, you know, week two they lose that heartbreaking game to Washington. And then they just get boat raced by 50, give up 70 points to the Dolphins, who are a really good team, but... 70 points in the league. I believe it's only happened one or two other times. So, I mean, it's just a historic loss for the Denver Broncos. And I thought Sean Payton would be a little better and make them a little better, but so far it's been more of the same in Denver. Um, Some other games that stood out to me, I'll talk about the Ravens and the Colts. Um, The Ravens are going to be fine. I still think they're probably going to win the AFC North. It's just a weird game, bad weather. Lamar was great, Um, missing some a lot of players due to injury. Uh, Justin Tucker misses that 61-yarder at the end of regulation, which would have won him the game. And, I mean, if Justin Tucker, I believe if he would have trotted Justin Tucker out there a little bit later, in overtime with 60, I believe it was 60 or 59-yarder, they opt to punt. 
Maybe maybe Justin Tucker makes it. But the Colts, man, Colts are a little bit of a surprise. They're in first place in the AFC South that AFC South after three weeks, which I have no clue who's gonna win the AFC South. I would lean the Jags, but how can I mean the Jags you could make an argument that the Jags should be 0-3 right now. The Colts kinda outplayed them for three quarters in week one. And then they get two, you know, they get those two rushing touchdowns. Richardson throws the bad pick and they they win week one. They score 31 points, but got outplayed three quarters of that game. And they sucked in the red zone against the Chiefs. And then against Baltimore, or not against Baltimore, against Houston, I mean, man, they struggled. CJ Stroud looks great. I know we're supposed to be talking about the Colts, but all this to say, I think the Colts are gonna be better than people thought coming into the season. Being living in Indiana. Um, knowing a lot of people who are Colts fans, having some friends who are Colts fans, getting to cover the Colts, you know, on on the weekend news, um, paying attention to this team, hearing Shane Steichen talk. I think Shane Steichen is a great coach. And I love the hire pairing him with Anthony Richardson because of the success he had in Philadelphia as the offensive coordinator developing Jalen Hurts. When they picked Jalen Hurts, the Eagles, when they still had Carson Wentz, they got a lot, they took a lot of flack and heat for that pick. But he made Jalen Hurts into an elite quarterback. And Richardson looked great. He's only played six quarters, he has, but he has three touchdowns in six quarters. And then Gardner Minshew is one of the better backups in the league. I think Minshew can roll out of bed, and you know, as long as he doesn't turn the ball over, they're going to be fine. Zach Moss had 30 carries for 122 yards in this game. Michael Pittman is playing well, too. Richardson's going to be back this week. I think, they're, I think they win against the Rams on Sunday in, in Indy. We'll, we're going to pick all the week four games, but I think they should win that game. And then they potentially get Jonathan Taylor back, which I don't know about you guys, but I think Taylor would, is going to play when he's healthy off the pup list. I think he's going to play. I don't know if they're going to trade him or not because Zach Moss has been fine, but seeing the start for the Colts, seeing Shane Steichen, I mean, if you're Taylor, you're like, all right, maybe I, maybe I just run this year. Maybe I, maybe I run hard. Maybe I try and, you know, contract year for me. Maybe I try and show that I'm still – the Jonathan Taylor of 2021 who led the league in scrimmage yards, you know, maybe I'm, and maybe the Colts make a run. Who who knows? I mean, the AFC South is wide open. The Titans stink. Um, offensive. I mean, Tannehill, they got to move on to Will Levis or Malik Willis. I think at some point, um, Derek Henry, he's been a great running back for the last, I don't know, five, six years, been one of the top four or five guys in the league. He's 30 years old now. Looks a little bit slower. I know part of that was the Browns' defense, but just not a lot of exciting things about the Titans' team. Texans have been exciting. Stroud's been great. Um, And the Jags have been very disappointing. So, I mean, I think the AFC South is wide open. And, I mean, the Colts, man. I mean, they you you, you could make an argument that the Colts should be 3-0 right now. But they're 2-1. They get a nice road win at Baltimore. And But I'm not worried about the Ravens either. I think, you know, sometimes teams lose, lose this game and – They'll bounce back, and they'll still be a playoff team, I believe. Some other games that stood out to me, um, Chiefs-Bears. We got to talk about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. <laughs> um, so, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. That was the big story. Travis Kelsey had a touchdown in this game. They pan up. The Fox cameras pan up to Taylor Swift. She's banging on the glass, cheering. She drops an LFG. Uh, she's sitting with Donna Kelsey, Travis Kelsey's mom. Um I don't know how to feel about this Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift thing. So I love Travis Kelsey. I am a big Travis Kelsey fan. He's one of my favorite non-Browns players in the league. Um, 
Cleveland Heights guy from Ohio. Love his podcast that he does with his brother, New Heights. Uh, him and Jason do that podcast every week. So he told this story about a couple months ago on the podcast. Um, so Taylor Swift had her Eras tour. She had a couple concerts at Arrowhead um, in Kansas City, obviously. And uh, Travis went to one of the concerts. And uh, I guess friendships bracelets are a thing. I, I saw them when I went to the Jonas Brothers concert in Indy. But they're apparently a big thing um, at these Taylor Swift concerts. So he made her a friendship bracelet. And he didn't get to give it to her, but it had his phone number on it. It's kind of shooting his shot with Taylor Swift. Um, and then there, the rumors start coming out last week that uh, the two are hanging out. The two are, um, you know, see, seeing each other, you know, casually. And uh, Travis gets on, the, I believe it was the Pat McAfee show last week and says, you know, I saw her, uh, I saw her. Rock, rock the stage at Arrowhead. Now it's her turn to come to one of my games and see me rock out at Arrowhead. And then Fox pregame, I'm sitting in the newsroom getting ready for the six, six o'clock news. And they panned to Taylor Swift pregame sitting with Travis Kelsey's mom. And me and my friend Will were just like, oh, yeah, they're together. Like, this is a thing. Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Um, but it, it is convenient timing, I would say. You know, her movie is about to come out. Her album, 1989, Taylor's version, is about to come out at the end of October. And, uh, you know, Taylor Swift is, she's had one of the best years in music for a musician in a long time. Maybe since Michael Jackson in 83, which was obviously the thriller year, the moonwalk on MTV. The tour has been a smashing success. Um, She's got a movie. She's already released, re-released two albums this year. They're going to do very well. I mean, she's probably the biggest global pop superstar i would say right now um and she is covered she's done an excellent job getting different fan bases to listen to her like her stuff i mean obviously she has the teenage girls like college age girls um like you know 30 uh, millennial women too um like her then you got the husbands and the boyfriends who go to the concerts with their daughters with their wives with their girlfriends into her so you've got that market. You got the country fans because she used to be a country fan. She used to be a country singer, excuse me. You got the pop fans. So what's the one market Taylor Swift hasn't cornered? It's the football fan, the biggest market in America. Now football fans know about Taylor Swift. They see her rocking out, dropping an LFG when Travis Kelsey scores a touchdown. They're thinking, man, it's cool to like Taylor Swift. She likes football. I like football. I like Taylor Swift. Pair that with the fact you saw like Aaron Rodgers, Mac Jones, J.J. Watt, all these football stars going to the Eras Tour talking about, you know, how impressive it is what she does. Bill Belichick's a big Swifty. <laughs> you know, like she's cornered the football fan and now Swifties are going to take over the world. And I think it's just a great PR move by both Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. I'm not saying the relationship is a sham, but I'm also saying it's not a it's it's not not a sham if that makes sense. Like it's very convenient for both of them. Travis Kelsey saw 400% rise in his jersey sales after Sunday's game. The Chiefs Bears game, which was a 41 to 10 blowout, was the most watched game on Sunday because Taylor Swift fans were tuning into the game just because Taylor Swift was there. You know, like she is probably the biggest superstar music-wise. Maybe period in the USA right now. And um, Travis Kelsey is, I would say, probably behind Mahomes now 
with the Taylor Swift development, is probably the second most marketable star in the NFL. Attractive guy, uh, superstar tight end, Super Bowl champion, playing with the best quarterback, best player in the league, Mahomes. A lot of commercials, podcasts, hosted SNL. Now he's dating Taylor Swift. And also, if you think Taylor Swift is not going to be at another Chiefs game, oh, she's going to be at this week's Chiefs game. It's in New York. She lives in New York. Sunday Night Football. It's Chiefs-Jets, which is an awful game. The Chiefs are going to win by 40 against Zach Wilson, you know. But the NFL might say, hey, Taylor, uh, are you going to be at the game? I know you're on the break from the Aeros Tour right now. Could get some cameras on you. We could have the announcers talk about your movie. Um, We know the Swifties would watch if you're there. So maybe we'll give you some tickets in MetLife Stadium to watch Travis play. You know? I mean, it's it's kind of funny, like – Seeing the Swifties try to learn football and everything. Like, like my sister, uh, shout out Kira if you're listening to this, and, uh, and Maureen too, but Maureen does, knows less about football than Kira. But I was saying, like, my sister Kira is, like, a rare Swiftie who's a big Taylor Swift fan, I would say, but, like, knows football. Like, she understands football a lot. Um, but most Swifties don't. And just seeing them try to understand football since Sunday is pretty, pretty funny to me. And, uh, hey... It's good for the NFL. They get a new fan base. It's good for Taylor Swift. She gets a new fan base. It's good for Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, very attractive woman. If I had the chance, you know, I would go for it too. So I applaud a fellow Cleveland guy, Travis Kelsey, for shooting his shot and making the basket. Shout out Travis Kelsey, baby. Shout out Taylor Swift. I'm rooting for this power couple. It's the first time in like eight years Taylor Swift's dating dating an American guy. So it also is is a win for America. All right, enough about Taylor Swift. The Chiefs are great. The Bears might be the worst team in the NFL. We're going to talk about that probably in the week three picks because we might have the worst game of the year. um, Week four preview, excuse me. We might have the worst game of the year in week four. Other teams that stood out to me, uh, the Bengals. Uh, I got to talk about the Bengals. Mention them at least. Um... I tweeted this. It was a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction, but are they bad? Like, can we consider the fact that they might, they just might be bad? They just might not be very good? I don't know. I've always thought Zach Taylor's not a good coach. Their defense looked great yesterday. Forced Matt Stafford into a couple interceptions. Seems like they were eating in the backfield. I wonder how many sacks they had. I wonder if I could see that on this. Oh, yeah. Here we go. The Bengals had, I believe they had like four or five sacks. It's seven sacks. Okay, they sacked Stafford seven times, had two interceptions. But, I mean, Joe Burrow just still doesn't look right. I know he had the calf injury. I know he didn't play a lot. He played fine enough yesterday, 26 of 49, 259 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. The offense just struggled to move the ball. They were really force-feeding it to Jamar Chase. He had 12 catches for 141 yards. But, you know, like, T. Higgins had two catches for 21 yards. Like, I mean, they've just underwhelmed me. You know, this Bengals team, who a lot of people were picking to win the Super Bowl, make the Super Bowl, they're the best team. Joe Burrow's the highest paid player in the league. They just haven't looked good. And, I mean, it's three weeks, you know. I mean, I want to look at their – because, you know, they have a first-place schedule. They still have to play the Browns and Ravens again, who I think are playoff teams. They have to play Kansas City. They have to play, you know, they have to play the 49ers in San Francisco. Um, Pittsburgh is always a tough game. Play them twice still. They play the Jaguars in Jacksonville, which, you know, they play Buffalo in Cincinnati. They play the Seahawks. I mean, they play a lot of good teams. So 
I don't know if they're a playoff team. I mean, I, I still believe that Joe Burrow is a great quarterback and that they should figure it out because of the amount of talent they have. But Zach Taylor worries me a little bit. I'm not sold on them like I have been the last two years. People could say, oh, they started 0-2 last year, and look, they were in the AFC Championship, only lose by three. But this team this year feels a little different. I don't know. It is week three. Maybe I'm re- overreacting a little bit. I'm trying to think what else. The Cowboys just dropped. I mean, how do they lose to the Cardinals? Dak Prescott looked awful in that game. But the Cardinals are playing hard. I mean, shout out to the Arizona Cardinals um, for playing hard and not giving up. Oh, we got to talk about the uh, – this is the last game I'm going to talk about before we go to break and do our seven and heaven week four picks and then talk some college football, including Ohio State, Notre Dame. It's Chargers-Vikings. I said this was the loser leaves town game. It did not disappoint – I also called it the Dumb Coaches Bowl between Kevin O'Connell and um, Brandon Staley. The Chargers get a 28-24 win. They do lose Mike Williams for the season due to a torn ACL. Justin Herbert was incredible. I mean, 40 of 47, 405 yards, three touchdowns. They couldn't run the ball. Josh Kelly had 11 carries for 12 yards. Obviously, um, Austin Eckler didn't play. Uh, Keenan Allen has been incredible through three weeks. 18 catches, 215 yards. The Vikings, Kirk Cousins, another great stat line, 367 yards, three touchdowns, one pick at the end on their last drive. Jefferson, seven catches, 149 yards, one touchdown. But the thing that I want to talk about is, dude, these coaches, I mean, the Vikings, we knew that they would regress. I still don't think they're bad. In fact, I might pick them in Survivor this week against the Panthers. That might be my lock of the week. I just think the Panthers stink. Like, could be the worst team. It's them, the Bears, and the Broncos right now. Or the Raiders. But the Raiders have a win. I don't know. But anyway, I don't think the Vikings are that bad. They've lost three one-score games. We said they're going to regress to the mean because last year they were 11-0 in one-score games. So we thought maybe if they go, maybe they're going to lose like four or more of those one-score games and not make the playoffs. I didn't see them starting 0-3 though, especially losing to Baker. But I want to talk about Brandon Staley and why I still think he's going to get fired pretty early on this season. Um, so the, the Chargers had the ball fourth and one. I believe it was on their own 24-yard line with less than two minutes to go. Um, and, oh, my God. Analytics are a whole other thing. I'm more, I'm more progressive than most on analytics. Like, I like going for two in certain situations. I like going for it on fourth down. But going for it on fourth down from your own 24-yard lines up four, you haven't been able to run the ball all day. And the analytics said if you convert, you have an 88% chance to win. But if you punt it away, you have an 82% chance to win. So I feel like the 6% difference isn't enough to justify going for it. They don't get it. Lucky for them, Kirk Cousins throws a pick. The Vikings, another dumb moment. They had the ball. I believe it was like they have 41 seconds left. They complete a pass, and then they don't spike the ball. They try to run a play, and Kirk throws a pick. I'm like, dude, spike the ball. You know? I don't know. But Brandon Staley just confuses me. Justin Herbert is far too talented to miss the playoffs again. And I'm just worried with the schedule that the Chargers have that that's exactly what's going to happen. They play. They still have the Cowboys, the Chiefs, the Lions, the Packers, the Ravens, Patriots in New England, Buffalo, and Kansas City on the schedule. Those are all tough games for the Chargers. So I mean, I think Staley's going to get fired. I mean, I, I I mean, and even though they won that game, his performance as a head coach in that game did not give me much confidence. So those are the games I really wanted to touch on that really stood out, caught my eye on Sunday. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, week four picks, we went 10 and six in week three, 10 and six in week, wait, yeah, 
10 and 6 in week 3, 10 and 6 in week 2. Forgot to track the numbers week 1. I apologize. Can we get better than 10 and 6 in week 4? We'll pick every game, talk about every game, preview every game. We also have our 7 in heaven. Seven teams in the AFC, seven teams in the NFC. Which seven in each conference do I have making the playoffs after week three? We also have some college football talk. Big win for the Buckeyes over Notre Dame. We're going to talk maybe my updated playoff prediction, my updated Heisman pick. Is Washington the best team in college football? All that and more right after this. This is wrestling legend John Cena, and you can't see me, but you're listening to this week's episode, Jack of All Trades. Here's part two. It was 1950 in the cold and rain when my father took me to my very first game. Said the Browns are gonna show you how the game is played. Here we go again. are back they their playoff team let's tell you the rest of my afc playoff teams it's time for seven in heaven shout out to the ken carmen show with anthony lima in cleveland for the inspiration behind this segment they do something similar they just do afc i do afc and nfc but i love the name so um yeah i'm adopting it i'm adapting it for my segment so let's start with the afc starting with the number one seed in the afc it still remains to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, seems like they figured it out a little bit uh, since Travis Kelsey has come back. Mahomes has been incredible. He always is incredible, but their defense has played great since um, Chris Jones has come back into the field. They're getting uh, Sky Moore involved. You know, they're spreading the ball around to different guys. Pacheco had a good game on Sunday. They're well coached with Andy Reid. This team is gonna. They're gonna. They always host the AFC Championship. They've done it the last four or five years. So, I mean, I anticipate them being near the top of the AFC. The division looks very weak. Um, the Broncos stink. The Raiders stink. The uh, Chargers, we don't know. Um, so, I like. I think the Chiefs play in a surprisingly weaker division than Jacksonville, actually. And um, so, and they have the best quarterback in football. They have the best tight end in football. They have a top 10 defensive player in football. They have solid run game. 
Um, and they have one of the best, probably the best coach in the league too. So I picked them to win the Super Bowl. I'm not going to back away from them just because they lost week one by one point to the Lions. If they had a competent receiving core that could catch a pass, they would have won that game. And they'd be 3-0, and we'd still be talking about, oh, the Chiefs, when are they going to lose? Are they going to go 20-0? They're fine. They're okay. They're my number one in the 7 in heaven in AFC. The number two overall seed in the AFC, I predict, after three weeks, is the... Not the Jacksonville Jaguars like it's been the first two weeks. It is the Miami Dolphins. Yes, I think the Dolphins are legit, especially offensively. I think they have, without a doubt, the best offensively uh, offense offense in the league. You know, Tyree Kill's top three receiver. Tua, I mean, he's the MVP favorite. I'm sorry. I mean, I've had my doubts about Tua, but through three weeks and just, you know, adding that to what he did last year when he was healthy – if Tua stays healthy, I think this Dolphins team is going to at least make it to the AFC Championship, probably win the AFC East. Um, Mike McDaniel's a great offensive coach, too, and they're, they have too much talent to not win the AFC East, and how can I not say they're number two just behind Kansas City and favorites in the AFC East after three weeks? That's why I have them number two in the seven and heaven. Number three... I thought about the Browns here. I really, really did. I'm sticking with the Ravens, the Baltimore Ravens. They lose a tough one to the Colts. Very winnable game. Not a very well-officiated game, I may add. Justin Tucker misses an uncharacteristic long field goal at the end. They very easily could have won that game. But those losses happen to teams all year long. I mean, and Lamar has been great, in my opinion, through three weeks. They still have a lot of injuries. They're going to get some guys back throughout the season. They're well coached by John Harbaugh. Um, I still just give them a slight edge over the Browns in the AFC North to win the division. Um, so I'll, I'll stick with the Ravens at three in the seven in heaven. Four, I have the Jaguars. Um, I'm least confident about them as a division winner, man. I mean, yes, I still think Trevor Lawrence is good. Um, maybe we jump the gun on proclaiming he's better than Josh Allen after week one. I'll admit, I think I'm going to take it back. I think Josh Allen is better than Trevor Lawrence still. But, I don't know. Something some feels weird. I mean, they got they didn't just get beat by the Texans on Sunday, who a lot of people thought were a bottom five team in the league. They got run off the field by them. Their defense hasn't been very good. I mean, they got kind of lit up by two rookie quarterbacks against the Colts and the Jags. They've gotten outplayed in all three of the games. They could easily be 0-3, or the Colts and the Texans, that is, not the Jags. Obviously, they can't get lit up by themselves. But they've gotten outplayed in each of the three games. You could make an argument and try and convince me they're 0-3. But I just look around the division. I'm not going to pick two rookie quarterbacks to win the division in C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson, though I do think C.J. Stroud through three games has been better than Trevor Lawrence through three games. I can't pick... Titans because of how much they've struggled on offense but I have a lot of questions about the Shags team I have a lot of doubt in this Shags team I'm still picking them to win the AFC South that's why they're number four in the seven in heaven this week still winning the AFC South but people forget they had to rattle off seven straight wins or six in a row last year they were three and eight um last year under Doug Peterson and then Trevor Lawrence got hot they won they win the playoff game they were down 31 nothing I believe in that playoff game though so I mean it's not like it's not like they dominated that game, that playoff game. I mean, the team had a great finish to last year, but midway through the season, they were one of the worst teams in the league. 
So, I mean, I just need more consistency for them. I think they have a big two weeks here, back-to-back London games. I believe one of them is against the Falcons. Yeah, one of them is against the Falcons. One one of them is against the Bills. So, I mean, you got to split at least. If you lose both those games, you're one in five? One in four, excuse me? I mean, you can't start one in four. So, I mean, I just have a lot of questions about this Jags team. So, But they're still number four. I still think they're probably the favorites in the AFC South. Um, the fifth team in the AFC playoffs, the first wild card team is the Buffalo Bills. I mentioned four interceptions, nine sacks. They they're doing this all without Von Miller. Josh Allen has still been has been pretty good, and when Josh Allen doesn't turn the ball over, he's still a top three, top four, top five quarterback in the league. He was able to run the ball pretty well um, on Sunday. You know they still have and James Cook had ninety eight yards, six and a half yards per carry as well. So when they have a running game going, this team is so good because. You know Stephon Diggs is outstanding. Gabe Davis is a good deep ball, deep threat. But the the thing that I would be most confident about as a Bills fan, which I think they have a huge, huge, huge game this Sunday, Bills-Dolphins. It's my game of the week. I, I, I am so excited to watch that game. I think the Bills kind of need to win it uh, to win the AFC East, which is why I think I'm picking them here in a wild card as opposed to winning the division, like I initially said, preseason. Um you can't start two and two and but be zero and two in the division. I mean, it's just plain and simple. But Josh Allen is fine. He's back to being good. He's not worse than Trevor Lawrence. Uh, it seems like James Cook is a thing in the running game. They have an elite receiver in Diggs, and their defense has been great without Von Miller. And it's only going to get better when he comes back. So, I got the Bills at five with the first wild card spot in the seven and heaven. Six is your Cleveland Browns. Um, I think they are – I had them at – I think I had them at six last week, so they stay in the same spot. Defense, defense, defense is the identity of this football team. It is elite, and if the defense continues to be this elite, which through three games I don't see any signs of it not being elite. I know they're going to have a test against Lamar on Sunday. Um, they're going to have a test against the Niners after the bye. But if this defense can be close to this level, be a top five defense, which I think they will be, you don't need Watson to be an all-pro. You just need Watson to be serviceable. And I think Watson can do that. And if Watson can play like he did on Sunday combined with this defense, the Browns could bridge that gap, and I might pick them to win the AFC North. But right now, I got the Browns at six, tempering the expectations a little bit, but still very, very, very confident in this team making the playoffs. Then seven, I had the Bengals last week. I had the Pittsburgh Steelers this week. Um, still don't believe in the Steelers' offense. Uh, but I do think their schedule's pretty easy. I gotta look at their schedule. Their schedule is pretty, pretty easy these next couple of weeks. And Kenny Pickett's fine when he doesn't turn the ball over. I said that in the open. Um, when he doesn't turn the ball over, he's fine. And they actually showed flashes of uh, competency on offense against the Raiders. Granted, a very bad team. But look at the Steelers. They got the Texans in Houston. Um, they still have games against Arizona, uh, the Colts. Um. Well, I guess and they'll probably split with Cincinnati, I would guess. Still have a game against the Rams, which they could win. I would guess they would split against Baltimore, too. So, I mean, I still have the Steelers. I mean, they're a well-coached team. They just need to be able to move the ball somewhat on offense because that defense can take them home. Mike Tomlin can take them home. TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith, all those dudes. And I just think Tomlin's going to coach this team, who I don't think has a very good quarterback, who I don't think has a very good running game, who I don't think has a very good offense. Um, to nine and eight, 
And I think that might be enough to get you a seven seed because I haven't been impressed with the other teams like the Bengals, like the, uh, like the Chargers, um, two teams I expected to be in the playoff hunt. Obviously, the Jets are no longer near the playoff hunt without Aaron Rodgers with Zach Wilson in. Patriots haven't impressed me either. So I, I got the Steelers right now in seventh in our seven in heaven. So it's Chiefs, Dolphins, Ravens, Jags, Bills, Browns, and Steelers in the AFC in the seven in heaven playoff predictions after week three. In the NFC, starting with the number one 49ers. This, the, uh, my, my NFC champion prediction preseason. Still feel really great about it. I think they're the most talented team in the NFL. Um, Brock Purdy doesn't need to be great for this team to win. And uh, I think they prefer it that way. Christian McCaffrey. I mean, I could list. I could list all these guys. Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Ayuk, Debo, uh, Trent Williams. You know, you got Nick Bose on the defense. Fred Warner, the best linebacker, one of the best linebackers. Um, they're just so talented, and um, they're well coached. Shanahan's a top five coach in the league. I got them at number one. Number two, I still have the Eagles. I I picked the Eagles to beat to. Uh, Win the NFC East over the Cowboys. I still think the Cowboys make the playoffs, but after this week, uh, I think they played two bad teams. I still think the Buccaneers are bad. Sorry, Baker. Um, the Eagles did what they should do to a bad team, dominated on defense especially. Jalen Carter looks outstanding. I know I, and a lot of people are tweeting out there, oh, why did Jalen Carter fall to nine? How many, why would teams pass on him? Uh, he, he killed someone? Like... In a car, like, sorry, he was driving a car that killed someone. That's why teams passed on him. But he's an outstanding football player, and I think it's a good culture that he's in in Philadelphia. A lot of great veteran leadership in that locker room. A lot of guys who he knows from Georgia who played at Georgia with him. So I hope, you know, that helps him, you know, with all that off-the-field stuff he dealt with pre-draft that caused him to fall. But he looks outstanding, looks like one of the best, not just rookies defensively, one of the best defensive linemen, defensive tackles in the league so far Jalen Hurts that freaking goal line play is unstoppable um a lot of people are saying to ban that play my opinion on that play you know what play it is so whenever the Eagles have a fourth and one or third and one or they're they got like you know a, f- a f- third and goal fourth and goal at the one yard line they run this quarterback sneak and it's vaguely similar to the bush push which obviously USC ran against Notre Dame to beat Notre Dame in South Bend back I believe it's oh four the year they lost to Texas in the national championship and Vince Young. I could be wrong in the year, but you know the play. So Leinert, Matt Leinert ran a quarterback sneak, and Reggie Bush pushed him in, hence the Bush push. This is a version of it. So they line up. They have you know a goal line set. They have Hurts under center. He's going to run the quarterback sneak. He runs right behind Jason Kelsey. But then they have like a running back, usually DeAndre Swift, and then usually Dallas Goddard, their tight end right behind him, to just push him in. And it, they've converted it like 92% of the time or something crazy like that the last two years or something like that. Jalen Hurts is, I believe, 20-1 and one in his last 21 starts as an Eagle, which is just insane. And uh, they're a great team. I mean, there's not a lot of weaknesses. They can beat you on the ground. DeAndre, DeAndre Swift has looked great with Jalen Hurts obviously running the ball. They have an, uh, uh, some other talented running backs, Gainwell, Boston Scott. Um, and then they can beat you through the air with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and they're really good up front on both sides of the ball. So, I mean, I got them at two in the NFC. Three, I'm sticking with the Lions. The Lions look good, especially defensively on Sunday. That's really encouraging. Jared Goff is serviceable enough where I think 
they're going to win the NFC North because I don't think the Vikings are players anymore in the NFC North, and God knows the Bears are not. Um, we got the Saints at four. Um, I really like the Saints defense. I know they blew a game to the Packers. I like the Saints defense, but it is Joe Woods, their defensive coordinator, which you know my feelings about Joe Woods if you listen to this podcast last year when he was the Browns defensive coordinator, which blowing a 17-point lead in the second half is a classic Joe Woods, but... I think with Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, getting Alvin Kamara back, Derek Carr probably going to be healthy still. I still think they have the most talent in the division in the NFC South. So I got them at four in the seven and heaven. Five, I got the Cowboys. Yes, bad loss to the Cardinals. They will be okay. They're still going to be a playoff team. Defense is too talented. They do lose Trayvon Diggs with the torn ACL for the rest of the season. That is always tough to see, especially a practice injury. Six, I have the Packers. Um, I mentioned how many injuries they're dealing with. For them to still be 2-1, very encouraging for me and for Packers fans. 7, I have the Seahawks. Um, They're better coached than some of the teams that are going to be in that conversation for that 7 seed, like Atlanta, Um, maybe the Giants. I don't trust the Giants at all. So, I mean, I'm going to lean Seattle. And the offenses look great, 37 back-to-back weeks. So those are the 7 in heaven in the NFC. It's 49ers 1, Eagles 2, Lions 3, Saints 4, Cowboys 5, Packers 6, excuse me. Seahawks seven. All right, so that is the seven in heaven this week. Those are my updated NFL playoff predictions heading into week four. Speaking of week four, it is time for our week four picks. We're picking every game in week four. We went 10 and six the last two weeks. So, so far on the season in numbers that I've tracked, we are 20 and 12. We're just picking these winners, the winners straight up, not against the spread. I do like to get the spreads up for you. So I'm going to see if I can find those right now NFL week four I could tell you right now it's my game of the year right now Bills Dolphins I'm so excited for that game um, but there are some other good matchups too including Browns Ravens could potentially be a AFC North you know I think whoever wins that game is probably going to be my favorite in the AFC North all right starting with Lions Packers Thursday night football in Lambeau in Green Bay the Lions are one and a half point favorites. Um, I like the Lions to win, I think, in Green Bay. Green Bay is a tough place to play, but, I mean, the Packers' offense just didn't look great. Through three quarters, obviously, they come back and win in the fourth quarter, but if the Lions' defense can play like they did against Atlanta this week, I like the Lions to win that game over the Packers, especially... Not knowing if Christian Watson, Jair Alexander, Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, all of them are going to play or not. So I like the Lions. Jaguars hosting the Falcons technically in London Sunday at 9.30 a.m. They got an alternate Toy Story broadcast on Disney+. Plus. If you'd like to share that with your kiddos, if you have kiddos and you're listening to this, I know I might tune in a little bit too because I'm a huge Toy Story fan if you know that. If you know me, you know I love Toy Story. All right. Jaguars three-point favorites. It's a must-win. I'm labeling it as it. Labeling it as a must-win for the Jaguars. If they lose this game, they are not making the playoffs. You heard it here first on Jack of All Trades. If the Jaguars lose this game to the Falcons in London, they are not making the playoffs. I still think they're going to make the playoffs if you just heard my segment. So I'm going to take the Jaguars to win. Simple as that. Then we got Dolphins-Bills. The Bills, it's in Buffalo. Bills are two-and-a-half-point favorites. Um, it's an important game for both teams. I think it's more important for the Bills. 
Obviously, you guys remember last year, I believe the Dolphins beat the Bills in Miami last year, early season. Then they didn't play in Buffalo till late in the season, and there was, like, really bad weather, I remember. It was snowing. I think I was out at the bar with uh, uh, my sister and um, others, we'll say, and uh, I was watching the end of that game because I believe it was a Saturday night game, and uh, the Bills won, but the Dolphins looked great offensively, even though it was snowing. And, I mean, this Dolphins team, you heard me talk about how much I trust this Dolphins team to be good this season, especially offensively. I'm going to pick the Bills, though, because I think this game is more important for them and because they're at home. So I – and I think the Bills are probably the best team the Dolphins will have faced yet. You know, they play – who they play week one? I don't even remember. Who did, who the hell did they play week one? This is going to drive me nuts if I don't figure it out, so I'm going to have to look up Dolphins' schedule and tell you who they played week one. They for sure played the Patriots in week two and the Broncos in week three, two teams I don't think are very good. And then in week one they played – who was it? Was it the Chargers? Yeah, it was the Chargers. And they, they, they almost lost that game, but they still look great offensively. So they're going to put up points, but I trust the Bills' defense. I think the Bills' defense is, is definitely the best defense they will have seen, so I like the Bills. Then we have the Toilet Bowl, if you will. The 0-3 Denver Broncos traveling to Soldier Field to take on the 0-3 Chicago Bears. Oh my goodness. These two teams are so bad. I talked about how bad the Broncos were. I didn't get to talk about the Bears. They are so bad. Matt Eberflus is not a good coach. Justin Fields, I love the guy. I'm a big Ohio State fan, so obviously I root for the guy in the NFL. They just are so awful. I mean, I don't know what to what, what what can I say that's good about the Bears? I don't know. They didn't get shut out against the Chiefs. You know, a lot of people watched their game because Taylor Swift was there. They're bad. They've lost 13 games in a row. I believe there's been only eight coaches, eight head coaches in the history of the Super Bowl era that have lost 13 straight regular season games. You don't want to be in the same conversation as Hugh Jackson and Matt Eberflus is. Just, I mean, I still think Justin Fields is talented, but if I, if you, I don't know, if you tied me up and said the only way for you to, for me to let you go is you have to tell me which team is going to get the first pick in the league, in the draft this upcoming year, I would pick the Bears because they're awful. I think they're the worst team in the NFL, but also they have the Panthers first round pick because they traded the Panthers that are more on pick this year and the Panthers are bad too. So I think the Bears are going to have two top five picks, potentially the first pick. And with Caleb Williams coming out, I feel like you have to take Caleb Williams. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We're going to pick this game. Broncos, three and a half point favorites at Chicago. I'm taking the Broncos because I trust Sean Payton more than I trust Matt Eberflus. And that's the only reason I'm picking that game. I will not be watching a second of this. Well, that's not true because I do cover the Bears at my job. So I will be watching a second of this game. Reluctantly, though. And, um... I would not wish this game on my worst enemy. I saw a tweet that said it should flex. they should flex this game to Wednesday at 3 a.m. I fully agree. But I got the Broncos winning the toilet bowl against the Bears. Browns, Ravens in Cleveland. Browns, two-point favorites. Um, I'm going to pick the Browns to win. Uh, a lot, I believe in the defense. I think Watson still is – I think Watson's going to play well again this weekend. And um, But the defense – Paired with a banged-up Ravens offensive line, I think the Browns are going to be able to make life hard for Lamar. And uh, so I, I like the Browns to beat the Ravens uh, at home. Bengals at Titans. 
two very bad offenses through three weeks. Titans are favored. One and a half point favorites at home. And you know what? I like them at home to beat the Bengals, actually. I know. I just don't, I don't know. I don't believe in either of these offenses, but I'm taking the Titans. I'm, I'm taking them. I don't know. Joe Burrow's banged up. Bengals haven't looked great offensively at all this year. I like the Titans. Colts hosting the Rams. Colts one-point favorites. Give me the Colts. Richardson's going to play. They're riding high after that big win. I think the Colts are going to win at home. I like the Colts. Buccaneers at Saints. Give me the Saints. Three-point favorites. I'll take the Saints and the points. Commanders at Eagles. Give me the Eagles. Commanders kind of fell back to earth, and I think that is the Commanders team we're going to see. My lock of the week. eh, It's not my lock of the week. My survivor pick, I think, is going to be this game, though. Vikings over Panthers in Carolina. The Vikings are three-point favorites. Like I said, the Vikings are the best 0-3 team in football because their competition are the Panthers, the Broncos, and the Bears. So the Vikings are the best out of those three, and I there's no way the Vikings lose this game. No way. If they do, Kirk Cousins might be a Jet by week six. All right, Vikings over Panthers. Steelers at Texans, upset of the week. I'm taking the Texans, who are three-and-a-half-point underdogs at home against the Steelers. I don't know. I mean, I think the Texans' offense is better than the Steelers' offense. I know the Steelers have a good defense, and they probably, you know, T.J. Watt and them are going to try and feast, but Texans' offensive line played really well against the Jags last week. And Stroud has looked great. He hasn't looked phased at all. So, um, screw it. I'm taking the Texans to beat the Steelers uh, at home. Raiders at Chargers. Chargers four-and-a-half-point favorites. Give me the Chargers. The Raiders are bad. They're just bad. Patriots at Cowboys in Dallas. I'm going to take the Cowboys. Uh, 49ers hosting Arizona, who is 14-point underdogs. I'm still I'm going to take the 49ers to win in San Francisco. My lock of the week is the Chiefs over the Jets at MetLife. Zach Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Sunday Night Football, the matchup everybody wants to see in primetime. But, like I said, Taylor Swift is going to be there. So, if, if anything else, people will watch because of that. I got the Chiefs. The Monday Night Football in New York. Seahawks at Giants. I like the Giants to win that game at home, I think, over the Seahawks. So those are the Week 4 picks, and uh, that is your Week 4 NFL preview as well, as we picked every game in Week 4. All right, let's talk some college football, starting with Ohio State-Notre Dame. What a freaking game this was. I watched the whole game. Um, so Saturday, you know, I, I'm the weekend sports anchor at uh, Channel 2, WTWO, and Terre Haute. Indiana, if you guys don't know. So I, we had this game on before our news because we're an NBC station. So me and my friend Will at work, shout out Will if you're listening. He's a big Buckeye fan from Ohio too. So we were very interested in this game. Um, we were watching the whole thing. I mean, Ohio State really felt like they dominated the first two and a half quarters of this game. Felt like they should have been up way more than 10 nothing. Travion Henderson had that big touchdown run. They do get they got stopped in the one yard line, I believe, on their third drive. But um and then Notre Dame comes back. I mean, Sam Hartman was great um after that. And Notre Dame's running game was they're running it down Ohio State's throat. I mean, they they had a methodical run game. They had Ohio State on the ropes, but dude, that last drive was the stuff of legends from Kyle McCord. I, I I'm I'm gonna be honest. I I said I picked Ohio State to win the title in our college football preview with Gabe. You can go back and listen to that. But they needed Kyle McCord to be an elite quarterback on that last drive. In minute 26, you got to go score a touchdown to win. 
And Kyle McCord was that. 15-play drive. He made several big-time throws. One on fourth and seven to Julian Fleming. One on third and 19 from the 22. He hits Emeka Ibuka on a 21-yard pickup to the one. And then they, they give it to Chip Trainum, the converted linebacker, running back. I, I wanted them to run the ball on the one-yard line. They do. And um, the Buckeyes score a touchdown. Me and Will at work, we chest bumped. We were so excited. It was an outstanding drive. And um, it was such a good game between two of the best teams, I think, in college football still. And Notre Dame only had 10 guys in the field those last two plays, which I don't know how that happens. But it was a signature win for Ohio State. And I think it's a signature moment for Kyle McCord. And I believe that this will help Kyle McCord play better. Because that was a big, big game. Ohio State needed to win that game. Ryan Day needed to win that game. And they did just that. And um, there's still so much talent on offense for Ohio State. Ibuka, Marvin Harrison, look, there was a little bit of an injury scare there, but he will be okay. And then the running game has been great. They have three serviceable running backs with Chip Trainum, uh, Mayan Williams, and Travion Henderson, who looks fast. Travion Henderson looks like the Henderson we saw a couple years ago. Um, so... The big win for Ohio State. I can't overstate how big this win is. Can't overstate how big this win is for Kyle McCord. Still getting his feet under him as a starter for one of the premier programs in the country. And he leads that 15-play drive. And he becomes, you know, that's the stuff of legends, like I said. And then after the game, Ryan Day cuts a WWE promo against Lou Holtz. Talking about it's Ohio against the world. I want to play the clip for you. Because I love when Ryan Day gets fired up. And, uh... I just think it's worth a listen. So here is Ryan Day on the NBC broadcast after Ohio State ekes out a win by an inch, 17-14, over Notre Dame on a last-second touchdown by Chip Trainum. Like, I'd like to know where Lou Holtz is right now. What he said about our team, what he said about our team, I cannot believe. This is a tough team right here. We're proud to be from Ohio. It's always been Ohio against the world. It'll continue to be Ohio against the world. But I'll tell you what, I love those kids, but we got a tough team. Like, I'd like to know where Lou Holtz is right now. That's my favorite part. I'd like to know where Lou Holtz is right now. Then, you know, he goes, Ohio against the world. It's always going to be Ohio against the world. And um, thing that's really encouraging for me as a Buckeye fan and for Ohio State fans across the country, I think should be just how well this defense has played through through four games. Obviously, Notre Dame has been really kind of the only tough opponent they played, but they hold Notre Dame to only 14 points, and they came up huge on that last drive in the fourth quarter. So in the fourth quarter of this game, Ohio State had the ball. I believe they had it near the 10-yard line. Travion Henderson ran for nine yards and second down. They get a third and inches. They get stuffed on a run play. Then they call timeout. They run a fourth down play, and it's like a reverse to Mecca Ibuka. I hated the play call. They get stuffed. Notre Dame has the ball. For some reason, uh, on first down, JT Tui Maloal sacks Sam Hartman. Huge play. Then for some reason, on second down, Notre Dame tries to throw, which allowed Ohio State to have one timeout on that last drive. And, um, and then Ohio State goes down the field and converts. So I was really impressed with Ohio State, especially defensively, which was the biggest question going into this year. And uh, I like the Buckeyes. I mean, I I think they're they're I think they're they're rightfully in the top four. So. Here are the updated AP top 20, AP top 10 uh, this week. Georgia's won. Obviously, they beat uh, UAB 49-21. Um, they got Auburn on the road this coming Saturday. Uh, Michigan's number two. They beat Rutgers 31-7. Uh, they have Nebraska at Nebraska Saturday in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, three is Texas. They beat Baylor 38-6. to 
They got Kansas, who's undefeated, 3.30 on Saturday in um, in Austin, though. And then the Buckeyes, they're off this week. Uh, they play Maryland, who's undefeated, October 7th for the Big Ten opener. Um, but a big-time win against Notre Dame. Florida State got a big-time win. They beat Clemson 31-24 in overtime. Florida State looked good. Um, Clemson looked as dynamic and intimidating as they have in three years, but it still wasn't enough to to beat Florida State. Jordan Travis and Kalen Deloach, two players um, who have been outstanding for Florida State this year, they rallied the Seminoles for a come-from-behind win in overtime as Florida State is number four. They've got uh, – number five, excuse me. They got Virginia Tech October 7th. They're off this week as well. Penn State got a big win. They're the only team in the country without a turnover uh, through the first four four games. They defeated Iowa 31-0 Saturday night. Um, they look good, Penn State. A lot of people like them to make the playoff. So far, they're showing you why. And I asked this before we went to break. Is Washington the best team in college football? I mean, Michael Penix, I think, should be the Heisman favorite. They're 4-0. They scored 59 points last week against Cal. They got Arizona uh, this coming Saturday. They've scored 199 points, which is the most Washington has scored through four games since 1944. Uh... Yeah, they're, they're really good. And then you got USC's number eight, um, Oregon's number nine, coming off that big win against Deion Sanders in Colorado. Man, they shut down. They shut down Deion. Um, and uh, Colorado fell back to earth a little bit. And then 10 is Utah. So which they've got four Pac-12 teams in the top 10 in the last year of the conference. Four Pac-12 teams, three Big Ten teams, one ACC, one SEC, and one Big 12 in the top 10 this week. Um, Heisman, I want to give you my updated Heisman picks. Yes, I do. I, I no longer think Joe Milton is winning the Heisman for those of you who are worried. Um, I got Michael Penix, number one. He is, uh, outstanding. They haven't played great teams so far. Um, but here's what Penix and the Huskies have done through four weeks. Week one, Washington wins 28 to, tw- uh, 28 to 12. Wait, no. 28 to 12. Oh wait, 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 wait. I read the stat wrong. This is what the this is what the Huskies have done in the first half of games. And Michael Penix. This is insane. Week one, they led at halftime 28 to 12. Washington had uh they were up 28-12, and Michael Penix had four touchdown passes in the first half. Week two, they're up 22 to 3. Michael Penix had two touchdown passes in the first half. Week three, they're up 35-0 in half. Penix four touchdown passes in the first half. Week four, they're up 45-12 at half. Penix, three first-half touchdowns. He's been outstanding. I mean, he's been, in my opinion, the best player in the country uh, through four weeks. I mean, just look at the numbers. He's um, completed 75% of his passes, uh, 1,600 yards, 16 touchdowns, two interceptions. He's been great. And uh, in my opinion, he should be the Heisman favorite. Caleb Williams is number two on my Heisman list. Um, He's... uh, Still the uh, best player in college football, in my opinion. Uh, two passing touchdowns, two rushing scores, more than 300 yards of offense in the win against Arizona State. I would say Bo Nix, Oregon's quarterback, is number four, number three, excuse me, on the Heisman list after beating Colorado and Coach Prime. Um, when you defeat Coach Prime, you absorb his powers, so Bo Nix has got the powers. Four, I got uh, Drake May. Um, his numbers aren't exactly Heisman Morty. Heisman worthy at this point, but 
he's still one of the best players in college football. Going to be a top five draft pick. Then five, I would have Jordan Travis, who is uh, Florida State's quarterback. Um, he's been great. Uh, he can do it with his legs. He can do it with his arms. Florida State's top five team. I mentioned, I forget how many, the last, however many Heisman winners. I think there's only been one whose team finished outside the top ten, at, um, and it was Lamar. So you have to finish inside the top ten. Looks like Florida State's on their way to doing that. So that was talking college football. And uh, real quick before we go, I just want to say uh, shout out to Terry Francona. The Guardians officially eliminated from the playoffs as the Twins clinched the AL Central. We're going to talk more baseball the next couple weeks with the playoffs coming up. We're going to do a playoff preview, all that good stuff. But Francona, Terry Francona officially retiring after 11 seasons uh, as the manager of the Cleveland Guardians. They made the World Series in 2016. They had the outstanding um, winning winning streak in 2017, 22 games in a row. And uh, they were in the playoff hunt every year. They made the playoffs 2013, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2020, and 2022. And um, tough way to end it. For I mean, tough way. I mean, I wish they would have given him a World Series title. He's the winningest manager in Cleveland history. He's coaching his last two games in Cleveland Tuesday and Wednesday against the Reds in Cleveland as a manager. This is his last week as a manager. Obviously, he's finishing out the season. But um, he's been a legend. I mean, he made Cleveland baseball fun for me. You know, growing I'm a huge Cleveland, Cleveland Indians, Cleveland Guardians fan. They were and probably still are my favorite Cleveland team out of the three Cavs, Browns, and Guardians. I, like, if, I don't know. I feel like... The Guardians winning a World Series would mean more to me a little bit than the Browns winning a Super Bowl, which maybe not the Browns winning a Super Bowl, but you know what I, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, but Francona has just been has been what Cleveland baseball has been about for the last 10, 11 years, and uh, they were always competitive with him. He always cared about the game. So fun, you know. Tito riding the scooter after that playoff win against the Rays last year on East Fourth. Um, and he just meant so much to this community and to the, to baseball in Cleveland, and uh, it's sad to see him go. And I wish they could have won a World Series for him. Obviously, twenty sixteen. I mean, it still haunts me blowing that three one lead to the Cubs. But you only had three healthy starting pitchers, and um, Kluber started three games in that World Series, and he almost won. Should have won. Probably would have won if there wasn't a rain delay. But He's retiring. I think they should help him, let him pick it, the next manager of the Guardians, let him help with the selection of that person, give him a front office spot if he wants to. But he's been around baseball his whole life. He's had a lot of the medical issues the last couple of years. Obviously, in the COVID year, Sandy Alomar managed the majority of that season, I remember. But um, it's sad to see him go, and I wish it would have ended with a World Series title. But uh, obviously, it's not, it's, not how, uh, it's not how it goes sometimes in baseball. But... Um, yeah, I just wanted to say shout-out to Frank Kona. Shout-out to him for making Cleveland baseball fun for me growing up. Uh, you know, he was the manager when I was 13. That's when he became the manager. He's leaving when I'm 23. And uh, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty great tenure for Trey Francona. 11 years in Cleveland. He's a legend. I think they should build a statue of him outside of Progressive Field. But that's just me. All right. With that, we are going to say so long for this week's show. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Jote Sports Pod. That's at J-O-A-T Sports Pod. You can give me a follow on Twitter at 
The Real J B E R N Z. That's at the Real J Burns with a Z at the end. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jack Burning TV if you want to follow my um, TV reporting, all that good stuff. I post more professional stuff, TV reporting on there. Whereas the Real J Burns might be what you want to hear unfiltered sports thoughts and unfiltered thoughts from Jack Burney if you like this podcast. So be sure to follow me there, follow the podcast on Instagram, all that good stuff. Thank you for listening. If you love the show, be a friend, tell a friend, share the podcast with your friends who love sports. Uh, with Spotify for Podcasters now hosting this podcast, we need 100 unique listeners in the last 60 days. We've been steadily climbing towards that number, so just keep sharing the podcast, keep you know listening to the podcast, and I appreciate your support with everything. Uh, we'll be back next week with another award-winning episode. Might get Chauncey on next week, talk about Browns-Ravens, how, they, how that game went, give you a little quarter-season update in the NFL, and all that good stuff. But until then, I have been Jack Burney saying so long.